anybody recognizes this woman. Anybody? She was world famous about 20 years ago. Her name was Carla Faye Tucker. She was born just outside of Houston in 1959. And she had an unbelievably broken and troubled childhood. At the age of eight, her parents divorced, but her father was an alcoholic and her mother was a drug user. According to Carla, by the time she was 10 years old, she was shooting up heroin. When her mother's drug use got so bad, her mother went into prostitution to support it. And by the time Carla was 14, she had joined her mother in that occupation. Obviously, an incredibly troubled path that she was on. By the time she was 18, she was involved with a motorcycle gang, had a boyfriend, and at one point in their relationship, they got crosswise with another guy, and they decided to get even with him one night. So fueled up on all kinds of drugs and alcohol, they went to Jerry Dean's apartment to take care of him, and they brought a hammer and a pickaxe. And Jerry Dean happened to be there with his girlfriend. And when they were finished, they had bludgeoned those two to death. And Carla Faye Tucker had left the pickaxe and buried in the chest of the woman. A few days later, they were caught and captured. She kind of sobered up in jail. And at one point when she was in the Harris County Jail on a Sunday, a good Samaritan, a pastor, decided to come into the jail and lead a Sunday service for the women incarcerated there. Carla had never been in church. She'd never held a Bible. He passed out Bibles, led the service, and she was moved by it to the point where she didn't want to give the Bible back, so she stuck it under her, her blouse and took it back to her cell. She stole the Bible. And as she sat in her cell reading it, she was overwhelmed by the love of God. You know, verses like where God says, I will love you with an everlasting love. Verses where Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And as she sat there, this broken, hurting woman who'd never been loved by anybody, she cried out to God and she said, I can't grasp this with my mind. You're going to have to help me. I need to feel whether you really love me or not. And she says at that moment, the love of God flooded into her. And changed her forever. She put her faith in Jesus. And at that point, she began to lead Bible studies and and lead other women who were incarcerated into a relationship with Christ. At her trial, she admitted everything and was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to death by lethal injection. For the next 14 years, she led Bible studies. She, She shared her testimony. She became a worldwide sensation. The 700 Club and other news organizations videotaped her and and her transformation. And she had become this glowing, loving person because of the love of God and because of that good Samaritan. And on February 3rd, 1998, Carla Faye Tucker became the first woman in 120 years to be executed in the state of Texas. Now, I'm really careful about the way I spend my time up here. We have about 30 minutes. I just spent about five minutes telling you that story. Why would I take that time? And here's the answer. There's really three reasons. Number one, stories are powerful. They're memorable. My guess is if I came to you later in the week and said, what was my message about? 
You're not going to remember too much, but I promise you almost everybody will remember the story of the pickaxe murderer who was the first woman executed in over 100 years. That's one reason. The second reason is, as you saw, we're starting a new series on parables, stories that change the world. Jesus taught in stories because of their impact, because of the power behind them. And I wanted to give you a good example, a good illustration of the power of story. And the third example, third reason, excuse me, is because we are today going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. There was an anonymous Good Samaritan who walked into a jailhouse 30 some odd years ago out of the goodness of his heart, to take care of a broken person, metaphorically laying on the side of the road. And because of that act by that good Samaritan, thousands of people's lives around the world have been forever changed. So that's why I tell the story of Carla Faye Tucker. With that, let's get started with a word of prayer. Father, even as I teach today about parables and communication, I'm so aware right now that my friends here, they don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. So please, Father, would you speak and let me get out of the way so that your word and your truth can go forth and accomplish what you desire in the lives and the hearts of my friends here in Rock Hills. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is going to be a four-week series on parables. Now, even secular people, even non-believers, would universally acknowledge that Jesus was one of the greatest teachers in the history of mankind. And many people point to the fact that he used parables so often in his ministry. Don't get me wrong, he used many different methods of communication, but he's probably best known for parables. There's almost 50 parables recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, depending on how you define it. And the essence of a parable is that it's a story. It's not true. It's fiction. It's not an actual event. Jesus used these to communicate a truth or to teach a lesson to his followers. Now, I am fascinated by story and this whole idea of story. Many of you know I'm a trial lawyer, and so I've been really uh, interested in communication ever since I became an attorney. And over the last 30-some-odd years, there's been a lot of research that comes out that says that stories are perhaps the most effective way we have of communicating with one another. Our brain seems to organize information in story form. We seem to learn and retain in narrative. And so Jesus, knowing that, taught in stories. And stories are almost always easy to understand <coughs> excuse me, and to comprehend. But here's the twist. Parables are somewhat mysterious. They're, they're sometimes hard to understand. They're, they're hard to, to figure out what Jesus is getting at. And so the question becomes, why would he do that? I mean, here's God incarnate as man, obviously the most brilliant man who's ever lived, without a doubt the greatest communicator who ever walked the face of the earth, and yet he's telling stories that it seems a little hard to grasp. 
And I think that's a worthwhile question. So today my message is going to be two parts. First, we're going to look at the question, why did Jesus use parables? And second, we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, as to the question of why did Jesus use parables? Well, I'll let Jesus answer that himself with his own words. And so let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. I hope you bring your Bibles or your devices because uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in Scripture today. And we always study the Bible here. So please, bring your Bibles, bring your devices so you can follow along. It's important that you know I'm not making anything up. This is coming from the Word of God. And so the setting for this is that Jesus has just told a parable. As usual, his apostles, his, the, his 12 guys, they're a little confused. So they come to him in private. And here's how it goes down. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their ears, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Now, this is an interesting response. It's almost as though Jesus is saying, I'm telling these parables that are mysterious because they're trying to see, and I'm not going to let them see. And they're trying to hear, but I'm not going to let them hear. That seems a little harsh. But if you look at verse 15, verse 15, Jesus says this, and and this was prophesied by the, the prophet Isaiah. He says, their hearts have become calloused. You see, there's something about the heart that needs to be engaged in this journey. And what was going on throughout a lot of Israel's history is they were a very hyper-intellectual people, hyper-analytical. They loved to, to focus on lists and logical reasoning. And throughout the Old Testament, you can see God being frustrated by this. He said, your lips profess me, but your heart is far from me. There's something about their heart that wasn't being engaged. And if you believe it or not, the, the experts in the law, the people who are very religious at this time, would memorize the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses. And there's not an exact count, but in the law of Moses, there's six or 700 separate rules or regulations. So they would memorize all five books, but what they loved to focus on was six or 700 picky little rules that their rational little brain could get around. And what God is saying is somehow they've partitioned off their heart from their brain, the logical side of the human being. And so what these guys would do is they love to catch people breaking some little law. And you may remember, at one point, Jesus healed a man who had been blind from birth. Imagine that. Imagine the joy that must have erupted. This guy had been blind from birth. Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. And what do these guys do? 
Oh, you broke one of these 700 rules. You did a little work on the Sabbath. And Jesus became frustrated with them. And he said, look, your heart is calloused. You need to get off these lists. And just to give you an idea what these lists were like, what these guys would do, I've pulled a few out of here. Uh, as I said, there's 700 some odd I could have picked from. Here's some I just pulled out at random from the first five books of the Bible. Do not steal. Do not lie. Well, we're pretty familiar with those. Do not hold back wages of a worker overnight. Hmm. I pay my people at my office every twice a month. So, Do not curse the deaf. I don't get it. They're not going to hear anyway, but that's one of the rules. <laughs> Do not mate different kinds of animals. I'm no zoologist, but I'm not sure what's wrong with that. Do not wear clothing woven of two different materials. Uh-oh, cotton and wool and my... Uh-oh. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head. Uh-oh, you guys with, you know, cut your sideburns. Oh, here's one I like. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Come on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that is in there. But here's one of my all-time faves. Deuteronomy 25.11, if you're interested in looking at this one. If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to the rescue her husband from his assailant and she reaches out and grabs him by his private parts, you shall cut off her hand. And so, Jan, if you're ever around and I get in a fight, just be really careful how you react. That's all I'm saying. So that is what Jesus was dealing with. He was dealing with guys who love to dwell on these. They'd love to go around, aha, two different kinds of cloths you're wearing. You're going to hell. I mean, it's like he, he was very frustrated. If you read the, the New Testament, you could see his frustration with these legalists. And so what this passage is really saying is Jesus said, okay, to really grasp God, takes an engagement of the heart. Now, let me be very clear. To know God includes the intellect, but knowing with the heart transcends the intellect. It includes it, but transcends it. That's how we are to know God. And I've had lots of experiences with this, believe it or not, even here in the 21st century in a slightly different way. And let me give you one example. About five years ago, there was a couple that were coming here, and... Uh, the husband was seeking out God, at least that's what he said, and so I began to meet with him. And we met two or three times, and he, was, he would ask me questions, but I, I never got the impression he was really looking for the answer. It was almost like he would ask a question, and before I would even answer, he's thinking up another question. He's not really listening. He's not really engaged. And so finally, one time, I said, well, give me you know, one of the problems you have, you know, with following God, he said, okay, I'll give you one problem. I think he's got a bunch of silly rules. I said, well, can you give me an example of that? He said, I'll give you one. For instance, I think it's silly that even though I'm married, I only get to sleep with my wife. He said, if I were to sleep with someone else and my wife didn't know it and we both got enjoyment out of that, I don't see what's wrong with that. I thought for a minute and I said, let me ask you a question. Do you happen to be sleeping with someone else right now? He goes, well, yeah, but that, you know, that isn't, well, actually, that is a good point. That is a good illustration. That's exactly what I'm doing. There's a woman at my work. She's married and I'm married. We don't want to divorce our spouses. We're generally happy. But when we get together, there's something else that we have and we enjoy that. And we don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I said, well, okay, let me ask you this question. In your heart, in your soul, 
do you feel good about that? He goes, I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. I said, well, do you feel, when you think about that, do you feel like it's, there's honor and dignity and integrity? He said, well, that's not really the question. The only question is whether it's right or wrong, and I think it's right. And we met a couple of more times, and ultimately he, he and his wife left Rock Hills, and I lost touch with him. But to me, that's such a good example. I used to be very similar to that before I became a Christian. You do all this work to compartmentalize everything to your logic because you don't want to engage the heart. And God will not be approached with just our intellect. No one can prove 100% scientifically that there is a God, and no one can prove 100% scientifically that there isn't. It takes a knowing. The, The Bible says... And it says this in Jeremiah. It's actually God speaking. Jeremiah 29, 13, a famous verse. God says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Again, that doesn't mean we dismiss intellect. It just means when we look with our heart, we transcend, we include and transcend intellect when we try to get hold of God. So if you're on a journey, make sure you are willing to have your heart engaged as you seek after God, and he promises that he will be found. Now, now it's time to turn to the parable of the Good Samaritan. We'll take a look at that, and that is found in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read that, beginning at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit life, eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and strength, and with, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. There's a couple things I want you to see in this. First, this guy is an expert in the law. and That doesn't mean he went to law school and passed the bar exam. Again, this is one of those guys I was just talking about a few minutes ago, right? He'd memorized the first five books of the Bible. He knew all 700 commands that were in the Old Testament. And he was one of these guys who was always wanting to test people, always wanted to catch them. That's why it starts out and says, and he tested Jesus. 
See, Jesus was getting a reputation as a rabbi, and this guy's thinking, okay, I want to see if he knows his stuff like I do. And so he goes to him, this expert in the law, hoping to catch Jesus in, in a mistake. And he says to him, you know, how do I inherit eternal life? But what he isn't expecting is Jesus to ask a question back. He says, well, how do you read the law? And, of course, he doesn't want to be embarrassed in front of people, so he gives the answer. And it's from Deuteronomy 6 and and Exodus 19. And it combines the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and love others as yourself. And then Jesus tells him this parable. And the interesting thing about the parable is if you look at it, the two bad guys, if you will, are the religious guys which is what he was, what the guy asking the question was. And so there's this guy obviously in need. He may be dead. And what it says is the Levite, who's basically a priest, and the priest who goes into the Holy of Holies, a super priest, they avoid the guy. Now, I think that teacher in the law would have expected that. Because if you touch a Gentile or if you touch a body who's dead, in case this guy might have been dead, then you have to go through all these rituals to clean yourself off and everything else. So he, he probably connected with those two people, and that's why Jesus tells this story. The first big twist comes when he has a Samaritan as the guy who helps him. Because as you may remember, the Samaritans were half-breeds, basically. These were Jews who centuries before had intermarried with the Gentiles and the pagans and had become this contemptible, almost subhuman category to the Jews. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans more than any other category of human being. And so now Jesus takes the two exalted people in Israel, the Levites and the priests, and they're sort of the, the villains. And he takes the Samaritan and he's the good guy. And they get to the end of it and he says to the teacher of the law. And and this is so brilliant. It's such genius. Instead of saying, here's the answer, he says, who was the neighbor to this guy? And and the teacher of the law couldn't even get himself to say Samaritan. He couldn't even spit it out. He said, well, I guess they wanted to have mercy on him. He said, go and do likewise. But see, he changed the, the question. He said, who is the good Samaritan. And he says, the one who has the heart to be nice to this person. It's it's really a condition of the heart. And and you can almost see the teacher of the law just perplexed, wanting to say, wait, wait, you didn't answer my question. I wanted a list. Give me a list of who I have to be nice to. He wanted a list because he half expected Jesus to say, you don't have to be nice to Samaritans. You don't have to be nice to people who are, you know, Gentiles and others who they generally wouldn't even talk to. He expected a list. But Jesus had given him the answer. Actually, he had given himself the answer. Right at the beginning of the parable, he said, the law commands this, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as yourself. The essence of the law, how you inherit eternal life, is through love. And Jesus would not give him a list. And the reason is because you cannot communicate love with a list. It transcends. It includes logic, but transcends logic. And I decided to try to demonstrate that to you. So I decided to make a list, a logical, rational list of why I love Jan to see if I can convince you that I really do love my wife, Jan. Now, this list, literally, seriously, if I 
wanted to, I could have taken hours and hours and come up with hundreds, if not thousands of reasons. So these, these are just some random reasons, logical and actually true reasons why I love Jan. Among other things, I love her because she's an attractive female of our species. Her ears and nose are a good size. She has hair and other important qualities. She speaks in sentences that make sense. She's nice to me. She has good personal hygiene. So those, seriously, I mean, I could go on. My guess is you're, you're not really feeling the love right now. But what if I said this? What if I said this? I love Jan because she walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies and all that's best of dark and bright meet in her aspect and her eyes. If ever two were one, surely we. If ever man loved wife, then I love thee. I wish I could say I wrote that. That's the poet, Lord Byron. But I think you may have seen a difference between the list. And that poem is rational, but it does something. and It forces you to engage your heart to grasp it. Do you see where I'm going with this? You cannot know God only with your intellect. He will not be known that way. It takes more than that. It transcends that. And so when Jesus finally got to the end of the Good Samaritan, the guy was puzzled because he didn't know how to do that. But that's the power of the parables. It requires you to engage your heart. And so on one level, the parable is really quite simple, isn't it? Okay, if we are to do as Jesus does and love well, what we need to be willing to do is help others. Be the kind of person that helps others. But look at what Jesus did. Look at what this person, excuse me, the person in the parable, the Good Samaritan did. He went over it. He bandaged the guy up. He, he put him on a donkey and brought him to an inn. He nursed him back to health. He paid his bills. He left even extra money to take care of the guy. Now, if everyone's my neighbor, how am I going to do that? That's overwhelming. I don't feel like I can possibly love that well. And that's what God is calling us to. But you know what? That's the gospel. You're supposed to feel like that. We can never love the way we are called to do. When we rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden... Something was broken inside, and we can no longer love the way God expects us to do, and so we can't ever get right with God. And what the second level of this parable is really saying is that there is a good Samaritan. The good Samaritan is Jesus. You see, all of us are lying broken on the side of the road. None of us has the strength to get through this journey. But Jesus comes along. He pays our debts. He nurses us back to health. He carries us through the journey because he alone was the good Samaritan. And that's what the gospel says. 
And the gospel says, if you seek God with all your heart, then you will find him. And you know what happens at that moment? And God describes this through his prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36. At that moment, when you put your faith in Jesus, Ezekiel 36, God tells us that he takes out your heart of stone and he gives you a new heart. He gives you the heart of the good Samaritan. And the joy of this journey is staying connected with God. So if you are someone who has already put their faith in Jesus, you have that heart. And so you need to stay engaged with the God of the universe so he can grow that heart to be more like Christ. If you've never made that decision, why not today? Why not say, yes, this is a love that I want to feel flooding through me like Carla Faye Tucker. And God will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that is the essence of the gospel. You know, There are a lot of people in here that have that heart. And there's been a lot of guys from this uh, church who have gone to Honduras. You know what? That really is a good example of the Good Samaritan. The people of Honduras, if you've not been down there, it's, it's hard to describe how broken and hopeless they seem. We go into villages where fathers have no choice but to go down to dirty rivers, get water for their family, and give their children contaminated water. Water they know is contaminated with pesticides and fertilizers and animal feces, but there's no other option. And these fathers become, many of them, hopeless. And they're just broken, laying beside the road, just crying out for help. And the men of Rock Hills go down there. And something powerful happens when men work beside, when we spend a week working beside these guys, shedding our blood, sweat, and tears with them as we get to know them and bond as we build this water system. And there's a testimony from a guy named Oscar. We're about to look at it. And Oscar was far from God. And three years ago, we went into his village. And you're going to hear what happened as a result of some good Samaritans from Rock Hills. My name is Oscar Figueroa. I have known the Impact Group for about three years or more. And what God did in my life has been something wonderful. I was a man that used to wander around sunk in alcohol in the world through the time that I spent 32, 33 years looking for the true meaning of what, it, what the gospel meant. What was the way to get to the way? But there's a time where I met this man and I found out that they were coming from so far away and they came and talked about the gospel of something that I never thought people like this would be. Their intention was not just to bring water but to bring the word and the gospel 
to feed the need of the heart. And then I realized that God transforms and changes humanity. I could see God's uh, love reflected in their hearts and, and, and let people see what God can do in other people's lives. And that was the difference. I was able to understand that God is not by force or mandatory. It grows out of your heart. But somebody has to transmit that to you. Somebody on whom God has already worked. And these men, God has worked in their lives. So then they give this testimony out and that changes people. Like my case. I am a totally different person now. I would like to thank Impact and Mark and all the people that have come. I love them very much. I love you very much in the Lord. Today, I have my wife and my two, three children, thanks to God. And I'm very happy believing in God. He's the only one who can transform, change, and make, make man different. Today, Oscar is traveling through different villages leading Bible studies and has been an incredible voice for the gospel of Jesus throughout that area of Honduras. Seek me with all your heart. When you seek me with all your heart, you will seek me and find me. My prayer for everyone here, if you don't know Jesus, just be willing to seek him with your heart. And if you do know Jesus... Continue to be engaged with him. And I promise you, if you will engage with your heart, you will go on the most exciting and satisfying journey you can ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you that Jesus was the Good Samaritan, that he bound up our wounds that he paid our debts. And my prayer for all of us is that we would take that incredible gift and in turn pass it on to people like Oscar, people like Carla Faye Tucker, and whoever else you lead us to here in this, in this state and around the world. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.